Hey guys, thanks for listening to this episode of Speech Bubble on Never Sleeps Network. I just want to let you know that our sponsor, Harry Tarantula, is looking for people who do comics in Canada for signings, events, and Q&As. So if you do a comic, they want to hear from you. They're located at 6979 Young Street, and you can give them a call at 647-430-1263. We're looking for people like our past guests, Ramon Perez, Marcus Toe, Kelman Andrasovsky, Ricky Lima, Megan Carter, Hope Nicholson. If you do a comic, they want you. Email them at us at harryt.com or call them again at 647-430-1263 and ask for Leon or Jeremy and tell them Aaron sent you. Listening to Speech Bubble, the podcast that goes one-on-one with Toronto's comic book luminaries, with your host, Aaron Broverman. Hello, fanboys and fangirls. Welcome to another episode of Speech Bubble on the Never Sleeps Network at NeverSleepsNetwork.com. We're available on the Never Sleeps Network and on iTunes and Stitcher or wherever you get your podcasts. I am your host, Aaron Broverman. And with me today, we have Stephanie Line. Stephanie is a local independent creator in Toronto. She has contributed to a number of anthologies, including Epic Canadiana, uh, Strange Romance Volume 1 and Volume 2, all the volumes of the Toronto Comics Anthology. Uh, she's also worked on her own projects, Strays. Uh, that's a project about a, a girl who gets uh, thrown out of her house because she is gay and befriends a dog. There's also bacon involved in there, so I'll have to ask her about how that's connected. Uh, she also collaborates with a friend of the show, Sam Noir, on comic called Skeleton Appy. Uh, Sam writes it and she does the art for it. She's also the artist in residence at Altered States Comics in Mississauga. So welcome, Stephanie. How are you? I'm good. How are you today? Good, good. So before we get into your work, uh, I like to learn a little bit about uh, my guests. So what, what's your background? Where did you grow up? What was your childhood like? Oh, well, I grew up in the Thunder Bay, Ontario. Okay. But I lived all over the place. I moved around a lot. So actually from Thunder Bay, I moved down to southern Ontario and I lived in Toronto, Mississauga, Georgetown and Burlington before I moved back to Thunder Bay again. Wow. My girlfriend went to school in Thunder Bay. I, I was supposed to go, but I didn't get a chance to. Oh, okay. So I'm self-taught. Cool. Yeah. So what initially exposed you to uh, comics in the first place? I just always liked to draw. And the first comics I ever read were the the Sunday Funnies. And uh, that was my initial inspiration. And from there, watching cartoons and creating my own characters. And then I just started drawing my own comics. Nice. What struck you about comics as a medium? What made you uh, fall in love with it? It just It's an artistic form of reading. I've always loved reading. And this just combined my love of reading with my love of art. Nice. So you said that you've you've always been somebody who draws and have been into art and that sort of thing. Did your parents like kind of put like a 
pencil and paper in front of you when you were very young or no, i just started using crayons and drawing on the walls like a bad child and <laughs> uh bingo dabbers on the kitchen all over the kitchen floor as high as i could reach and just always and drawing on placemats at my grandmother's restaurant yeah i was one of those guys who always used to when i was really young i considered myself a bit of an artist too and uh, in the comics that I used to get at the at the convenience store, because that was where I was mm-hmm. first exposed to comics, uh, I always used to think there weren't enough characters. And I always used to want to put my own characters into the background. So a lot of my early comics have, like, stick figures, because <laughs> I figured, you know, I want to contribute to whatever story is going on, right? Well, that's pretty, that's so, pretty cool. So you'll see, like, crayon stick figures of my early, early drawings in the background of the comic panel and stuff and stuff like that. Any of those comics super valuable? Minus no, the, I think okay. I think there was like a Beetlejuice comic, and I think I did like one to like 101 Dalmatians because I liked the rob the robbers who who steal the dogs for Coella mm-hmm. Deville, and I figured that they needed more of a posse than they got, <laughs> so I just added a bunch of like you see these stick figures with like guns and shapes and stuff. So yeah, I I can definitely relate to that. What about when you were in school? What was it like going to like elementary school and high school? Were you the artist of your class? Pretty much. I actually went to seven elementary schools. Wow. And uh, that was the kind of my coping point of always moving around. Is always I, I always had my art. Why did you move around so much? Oh, it was uh, a long and convoluted story. Oh, but it the, was, uh, we have so much time for that. Yeah, but it's not a happy story. Oh, really? Yeah, I had my mom had drug drug problems, so we oh, moved around a lot. Oh, that's good. Yeah. yeah. So you basically, that's how you ingratiated yourself to people, because it must have been really hard to like be part of a new school every so often, right? It's actually something I got used to after a while. Okay. And uh, I can still adapt, I can still move around, and it's contributed to being sort of introvert. Okay. But if I need to, I put myself out there and welcome new people and... Uh, try to make as many friends as I can because I don't know how long I'm going to have those friends. Right. And and it was an easy way to make friends, I guess, through your art. Like people would be like, oh, cool. Look at like, look what you can draw kind yeah. of thing. Right. Cool. Did you take requests? Not really. Because <laughs> a lot of the people at my schools were idiots. Uh, really? <laughs> they weren't very nice to me. So oh, really? I wouldn't really draw for them. I'd draw for me. Did you get bullied sometimes? Yeah. Yeah. All the time. Uh, oh, that's too bad. Because I guess they like sensed your vulnerability or. Could be that. Um, I was uh, particularly bright one of the child not so much anymore but when i was a kid i was really smart so i think that kind of threatened them a little bit yeah because the new kid was getting better grades and you know all the teachers attention so how long would you stay in a particular school before you had to move move on sometimes a couple months um a couple years there was one school where i went from grade four to grade eight in the same school but i moved around town quite a lot right but at least there was that one school that i went to it was in georgetown yeah yeah and then high school was the same thing high school i went to four high schools okay Uh, i went to one in georgetown one in burlington grade 11 through oac in thunder bay at a certain school and then one final school high school to take one specific course so i can get a college credit what course was that do you mind me asking Uh, it was computer graphic design oh cool yeah and actually it was through the co-op that i took to fill up my schedule that i met my husband oh so what were you doing at the co-op because i took co-op too in grade 11 i i I worked at the local newspaper Uh, it was a website design oh nice at a company was that just an extension of your art? Like, how did you get into to web design and that sort of thing? Was that just another artistic avenue? It was just something that avenue? kind of branched off. I was actually really into Sailor Moon when I was a kid, and I used to build Sailor Moon websites. 
And then I went to other types of websites. And I was pretty good at, in the 90s, making websites. Not so much anymore. I just do WordPress themes now because I'm lazy. Yeah. But I would build websites all the time and kind of figured, eh, I could probably do something with this. I remember in the 90s, I started with, like, the free yellow website templates. Like, I used to do those. Like, Yellow Pages used to have like, oh, okay. one of those weird, like, uh, I think, like, Netscape oh. website <laughs> templates where you could do, like... There were, there were different, like, fonts and, like, word art that you could put in. And, like, they would show you how to, like, put the pictures in and stuff. But it was, like, more complex because you still had to do a fair bit of HTML. Mm-hmm. It wasn't like uh, these drag-and-drop website yeah. companies that you see now. I was mostly with GeoCities where it was all HTML for me. Yeah. And yeah. I would draw a picture on a piece of paper and make it happen. That's awesome. And I know that there were a lot of, like, animated GIFs that you could yes. do and, like... Flashing, blinking text. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I remember, like, the hamster dance thing. Yep. That was a huge thing back in the early website days. Mm-hmm. You know, that was crazy. So, <laughs> when you, you know, were into art, and, and, I mean, comics are obviously, like, an extension and an expression of that... What kind of comics did you collect? Were you a collector or did you just read them when you had the chance to? Money was always tight, but when I bought comics, it was usually Simpsons comics. Oh, yeah. I started with Simpsons comics. Man, we have a lot in common. <laughs> I still actually still have all the Simpsons comics. I have the first Radioactive Man. Oh, I remember the, first the big Bartman. cape that goes yep. all over the issue. And it was glow in the dark. Yeah. So that you can see a skeleton in, in the dark. I remember, I remember. I think the first issue of Bongo Comics, Simpsons Comics, was like Homer as like a giant uh, monster, kind of like King Kong or whatever. And he's like, coming, Might have been. he's like coming through the floor and his family is trying to like stop him. He's coming through like the, the, the street or something. I might have had that one. I'm not sure. The one that I got first was the Bongo Comics crossover. And it had like a Radioactive Man and Bartman and yes. The Simpsons all in one issue. Do you remember that? I think so. And the Bartman was a foil cover. Yeah. I have that one. That's awesome. <laughs> That's cool. actually, I think it's worth about 40 bucks now. Is it? Yeah. Wow. I, I don't, do I have it anymore? My, my my brother might. My brother was really into like the cartoon mm. comics, like Bone, mm-hmm. um, Rose, way more. And I started getting more into superheroes and stuff mm-hmm. like that. So he might still have it in his collection, which is not really his collection. I think it's just sitting in my mom's house somewhere or something (laughs) so that that, that's pretty cool because that's exactly when i started collecting comics it's like the mid 90s you know and simpsons comics were the comics also spider-man and like the clone saga and that sort of thing but i mean i don't know why i picked up simpsons comics i mean what what appealed to you about them? I like the TV show. Yeah, it was I, funny. I think for me, like when when we like it was very much a conscious decision for me to start collecting comics. So I think the Simpsons comics was like a good entree because they were like the non threatening yeah. comics that I knew, like something that I could immediately identify. So it's yeah, it's sort of a similar story. From there, um, where did you go from from Simpsons comics? Uh, Simpsons comics and Archie comics. And then there was a long stretch where I didn't buy any comics because of moving around and uh, like food bank type meal sort of thing. So comics were definitely not in the budget. Right. But um, it wasn't until recently, actually, that I started picking up comics again. It's just I've I've always been interested, but I've never followed. Mm Mm-hmm. 
Like if that's you know if you can get that right like right I, I guess it was sort of a, a poser, if you're there a poser you'll comic pick fan. up a comic but like you're not going to the comic shop every week to exactly. like follow storylines and stuff exactly so for you it's more about the art and expression and that yeah. sort of thing how did you get into making comics specifically because I mean there's a lot of avenues for art not everybody gets into comics how did you get into comic book storytelling. Well, the Simpsons TV show and comics inspired me to make my own character called Shelly. Okay. Which is now modernized. But back then it was like a um, a kid, you know, fart joke sort of comic where Shelly was the, the troublemaker, just like Bart. And she would be thrown in jail for robbing banks and doing bad things. And she was always acting out and, you know, just being a general louse. Mm-hmm. And I started doing adaptations of fairy tale comics because that's what I knew at the time. I knew books. So I would take those stories and I would make them into the Shelley comics and she and her posse would be the characters in mm-hmm. the story. And it would follow, you know, roughly the same uh, storyline. Like I did Snow White and the Eight Dwarfs where one of the dwarfs was called Breezy because he farted all the time. Ah, uh, okay. So, you know, So it's kind of like humor. juvenile comedy comics, like slapstick, like... Yeah. Akin to like, you know, the Three Stooges or, you know, something like something like that. Yeah, somewhat. Yeah. Or or like, and very much like in the tradition of like the Sunday Funnies too. Exactly. Yeah, for sure. Which which you said that you, you got into first. Mm-hmm. And my mother would fill my head with dreams such as, we'll get a copyright on it and you'll be in the newspaper. And of course I believed her because I was, what, 10, 11 years old? Yeah, yeah. But... Uh, it never went anywhere, but it was something that I would that I always had to draw, and it was always something that made me calm and happy. So, was it a strip style, or was it like a full like issue with like pages? I draw in my art books, okay. so some of them would be like ten, twelve pages long. Some of them would just be little strips. Okay. Some would be just one pagers. So you said that you're modernizing it now. What inspired that, and how are you? How are you doing that? I was digging around all of my art books, and I found my old Shelley books, all of them except for one. And there were six six art books total, and full, completely full. And I was looking through it, and I was thinking, you know, um, with the way that I think of empowering women and, you know, empowering girls, Shelley was a comic where the girls were in charge. Mm-hmm. And that was something that I kind of grew up with. I had a grandmother who would say, if there's something broken, you fix it. You don't wait for someone else to do it. If there's something that needs to be doing, you do it. Mm -hmm. Because anybody can do any job. Mm -hmm. So with that ideal, I created my comics as a kid. And when I found them again, I thought, why not make something for girls? Because what is there for girls? You mentioned like the girls are in charge. I'm sort of envisioning like a... Like a little rascals, but instead of male, it's it's female. Like instead of little boys, it's 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 the girls kind of thing. Is that is that sort of along it, it the would lines? have been if I would have kept them at the same age that they right. were, but I aged them a little bit to make oh. it more for because there's 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 plenty of comics for kids age ten and under. Right, like if you're Disney princesses and you're My Little Pony, and um, you have there's 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 superhero comics for girls that age, but there's really nothing between the ages of ten and say sixteen. Mm-hmm. So what I did with Shelley was I aged the girls to thirteen, which is the happy medium, and I gave them real problems and I gave them diversity in race and in personalities and interests and such and 
I meet, I even made one of the girls overweight because all of my original characters were skinny white kids. Right. You know, so it's I just want something relatable, right, and intelligent. What kind of problems would did they have to tackle? Now, in the first issue, they tackle the problem of losing a friend to leukemia. Oh, and they're dealing with the grief of that. Yeah, it's pretty heavy. It is, but kids kids can handle it, yeah. and kids need something that they can relate to, right? Because you can tell them face to face, "We're here for you. We're here for you." You know, don't be sad. It'll be okay. But to see it. it on a on a page with the artwork and the writing it's something they can curl up with alone and read and say oh i felt like that too mm-hmm. you know i'm i'm here there's somebody here who understands yeah it it helps them sort of deal with like the realities of life that they might be that they might be going through mm-hmm. you mentioned that you're really into female empowerment and i mean that's part of that like helping kids deal with uh, some pretty complex issues where does that come from? Where did you become, you know, get into uh, the sort of that woke state of of being empowered as a as a as a woman? I've always I grew up without a father, mm-hmm. so I never had a father figure, and it turned out to be something that you know the ladies of the family had to do everything. I found that I had to take responsibility and take charge and do what I needed to do. Um, I went through high school. I wasn't chasing boys. I wasn't looking for relationships or boyfriends. I just focused on myself. And I feel like I'm, you know, stronger for it. From what your mom was going through uh, with her with her drug issues and that sort of thing, did you have to become more self-sufficient at a younger age? Oh, yes. And, and take care of yourself? Can you tell me a little bit about that? Uh, well, there'd be times where we lived across town and I'd have to walk across town in the middle of winter to get home because she couldn't pick me up or because she was working, couldn't get away or um, feed myself because she wasn't home or... Uh, just go out and find some some sort of work or some sort of, of like go to a friend's house if I couldn't be at home for whatever reason. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So you had to be like self sufficient like really early on. Yeah. Right. I guess that kind of teaches you that you can't rely on anyone else but yourself. Sort Pretty of much. Yeah. At the end of the day, I mean, I should describe to our listeners. Um, Stephanie's wearing a Wonder Woman toque. Uh, but it's not just any Wonder Woman too. It's sort of Wonder Woman's uh, tiara and like belt, but it's also her like her bottoms, her star spangled uh, bottoms that she wears. So it's it's really unique. And you also have like a Wonder Woman bag. Mm-hmm. Is it's Wonder Batgirl Wo- on the inside? Oh, cool! Yeah, so it's, it's reversible. It's the two basically strongest female characters of the DC universe. Pretty much. Are those two characters like totems for you? And I I just love Wonder Woman. She's just. The best. <laughs> Tell me about it. When did you get into her? Uh, not so recently. Okay. I, it wasn't until the last, I don't know, five or six years that I've been into more superhero-y stuff. Mm-hmm. It was actually a long, a long period of time where I didn't draw anything and I wasn't really working on anything. And uh, it wasn't until about five years ago that I started picking up the pencil and drawing. What brought on that hiatus of drawing? Like, what, what were you feeling at that time? How come you, how come you weren't drawing? Well, at I that moved time? into Toronto. I started playing video games, and I kind of got sucked into video games, and that was my life for a while. Mm-hmm. And then I had kids. And, you know, you got to take care of the kids. But now that the kids are in school, I can kind of go after what I want to do. Right. And so that's sort of what started your your independent comic career in the sense, like you had time to draw and stuff like that? In a sense, yeah. Like I've always wanted to make comics or actually when I was a kid, I wanted to be an artist or a librarian. Okay. And the librarian thing fell through, even though I spent all my time at the library. But now I'm actually 
a professional artist. Mm -hmm. And that's in comic book form. After high school, did you go to university or did you do college? Or nope. what did you what did you do then? Uh, I took Thai's classes. Oh yeah, Thai. A lot of our guests mention uh, Thai's comic book boot camp mm -hmm. at Thai Templeton. That's actually the one class I didn't take was boot camp. Okay. I took all the every single other class that he had. <laughs> yeah, I didn't realize. I thought they were. I thought they were all called boot camp. Like I thought that was like the umbrella term. Oh, the school is called boot camp. Okay, okay, cool. Yeah. So Ty's comic book boot camp for those who are who are new. Uh, Ty Templeton is like a legendary artist in Toronto. He's worked on pretty much everything. You know, Batman sixty six. You probably know his work, and he teaches his own comic book boot camp where he teaches uh, students anyone who can afford it. To, and it's not very expensive. I think it's like two hundred dollars. No, it's like three twenty-five now for seven weeks. Yeah, so it's, it's not that expensive. Um, so he teaches like everything you want to know about making comics, from like layouts to thumbnails to storytelling to all, everything. Backgrounds is his newest course, and that's the one that I took most uh, recently. Oh, cool! So when did you start taking his classes? Two thousand and thirteen. Cool. So every and every time he offers them, you try to. Oh, yes. You try to take one? Shut up and take my money. Yeah. Nice. What did you learn there? Like, what what, what really inspired you about the way that he teaches? I mean, people have raved about the way that Ty teaches and what, what he gives to them. But what was your experience? Uh, he's a great storyteller, to start off. And every everything leads to a story with Ty. And you can sit there and you can just listen to him all night long. And it's it's wonderful. And when it comes to when he uh, teaches on the board, he just... It's because he knows everything that he's teaching. He's not bullshitting you. He's is that bad? Yeah, no, it's fine. <laughs> okay, he he's not you know jerking you around. He's everything that he teaches you is something that he's done in the past, and he teaches in such a way that it's easy to pick up and take your notes and um, go back to it and know it. Right, that's awesome. And you know, I should mention for those who are just starting with this episode. Um, the Toronto Comics Anthology came out of uh, Ty's class. It was actually mm -hmm. Ty's idea initially, the first one. Um, and I think a number of other uh, projects, Holmes Incorporated is, is like the final project in some of his classes where artists and writers get to partner together and do a comic uh, based on like the family of Sherlock Holmes or like ge the generations. Well, of with the uh, Holmes, Holmes Incorporated, movie. they actually stopped doing that mostly because the Toronto Comics Anthology is taking in artists and writers and making it a learning experience. Oh, okay. To get okay. There. So they don't need to do it anymore because Toronto Comics Anthology is doing it now. Yeah, they haven't done it since Toronto Comics came out. Yeah, cool. But I, I remember that because I remember um, my friend Chris Yao. Oh, I love Chris. Ha has done a lot of uh, Holmes Incorporated stuff mm -hmm. and things like that. Yeah, I, I'd like to take Ty's classes one day. It's just I've been too busy with other other things. But but one day I definitely will will uh, will do it. Yeah, he he gives so much to the community. It's pre mm -hmm. it's pretty incredible. So after high school, like what what were you planning to sort of sort of do with your life? Like what happened um, once once you graduated? And well, I had a college fund, which unfortunately got spent on things that I didn't want to have it spent on. Oh no, that's too and bad. Uh, that was my. I was hoping to go to Sheridan College for animation. Okay. But I didn't want to take a student loan. I didn't want to have to deal with debt or mm -hmm. anything like that. So I um, I moved to Toronto with my now husband and started looking for graphic design jobs. Yeah, I wanted to ask you about that co-op. So 
You said that you met him there. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was pretty pivotal. Can you tell us like how you guys how you guys met and like how that how that happened? Was he a student as well? He was in his first year of college. Okay. And he was actually the head of development at this new little company. Uh-huh. And uh, we just started talking all the time and just found out we had all the same interests and like the same music and stuff. And we went to a tea party concert together wow, back in 99. Party. I remember oh, the tea yeah. party. Mm-hmm. And uh, a big sugar concert and uh, just hung out all the time and then it just sort of got together. Yeah, it just sort of happened. Mm-hmm. So then go- going back, like, I guess you guys got together and and um, had some kids and stuff like that. What is it like balancing uh, motherhood with uh, creating comics and that sort of thing? Like you're here right now while your kids are in school to to do this and mm-hmm. promote your stuff. So and you're the first person who is really a mother and really has kids that are going to school mm-hmm. at the same time. We've had a lot of. Um, guests who have babies yeah. and that sort of thing, but but not a lot of people that have kids of of a certain age. So, what is that like uh, balancing motherhood with with creating comics? I'll be honest, my house is a total disaster. <laughs> my kids <laughs> cleaning up after my kids is just exhausting. So I'm I'm kind of bad at it. So that <laughs> there's that out of the way. I'm just perfectly honest with that. But otherwise, I just take all the time that they're in school to do my comic work. Mm-hmm. And I've actually opened a studio in which I can go to the studio uh, starting on May 1st to do my work and get away from the house and get away from all those distractions. And then when it's time to get the kids, take care of the kids, make them dinner, make sure that they're you know happy, make sure homework is done. When dad gets home, make sure he gets his dinner. All that sort of thing. Right, right. Okay. Since you didn't go to Sheridan and you didn't do that sort of thing, did you have to take like some, you know, Mick jobs and, and do some do some of that kind of stuff? Or wh- um, like, where did you work? What did you do for, for money? I was on and off for work. My husband has had the same job for 15 years, though, and he okay. can support us. Cool. Which is, th- that, I'm very thankful for. That's awesome. Yeah, yeah totally. Cool. And, and he's very supportive of, of your comics work. Like, oh, yes. Did, was he the one who sort of inspired you to... He supported me in doing it. Yeah. I, I was inspired by friends and uh, people that I knew and people who were making comics that I kind of admired from afar. Why did you move to Toronto initially? A Thunder Bay is not a good place to live. There's a lot of crime there. There's a lot of poverty. Mm-hmm. And it's just a toxic place in a lot of ways. Okay. Cool. So you, you wanted to just get out of that environment. Mm-hmm. Okay, cool. Um, how did you connect with the Toronto comics community? I was in the same class as some of them. Oh for, yeah, for, for, for the boot camp. So yeah. from there, and I guess it's a really big uh, marketing or, or networking. Sorry, not marketing. Marketing too sometimes. <laughs> uh, opportunity. Um, you meet a lot of people, right? Like, mm-hmm. who did you meet? Uh, well, first off, I met Andrew Stevenson, okay. and he was he he brought uh, bribery uh, Timbits. Nice. So that helped. Yep. So I was like, "Oh, Tim Bits." Andrew is the editor of uh, Toronto Stephen Comics Andrews. Anthology. Sorry, he goes under Stephen Andrews, but nobody ever respects that. Everyone nope. calls him by his actual name. So yep. I don't know how well that pseudonym is working is working out for him. But he's been on the show before. He edits the Toronto Comics Anthology. Is that how you got in on the Toronto Comics Anthology initially? I went to all the meetings. I brought my work, and uh, the first writer I paired with was the first um, book editor, Nelson DeRocha. Oh, okay, yeah. And uh, we worked on um, a comic, the superhero comic in the first issue. Okay. It's called Different Times. Okay. 
Cool. It's uh, it's about heroes who go back in the past to find the Bathurst brawler and the Christie Crusader, and they just find out that they're terrible racists <laughs> and bad things happen. Yeah, yeah. So it's sort of a riff on like the golden age superhero, yeah. but like more contemporary as if as if they actually existed in some of the contemporary issues that they might have to deal with yeah like we can't bring those guys to spadina right (laughs) yeah yeah totally that's cool so that's awesome you were like in on the ground floor of a lot of a lot of cool um stuff Mm -hmm. because because out of the toronto comics anthology things like uh, you know strange romance came from that Mm -hmm. Uh, i know that adam uh, prosser was very inspired by them uh, Hogtown Horror came out of uh-huh. that. I helped put that book together as well. That's awesome. I did most of the um, after production shipping, helping sort of thing. Like I helped them on that night and gave uh, just little bits of uh, suggestions and advice. You're listening to Speech Bubble. We'll be right back. This episode of Speech Bubble is sponsored by Harry Tarantula. Go visit them at 6979 Young Street for their games nights. They've got Warhammer, they've got Star Wars miniatures, they've got Dungeons and Dragons, and they have board games nights. Go to harryt.com for the schedule and enjoy some serious gaming. So how does it feel to be someone so pivotal? I mean, you are your skills are self-taught, you were saying, mm-hmm. right? So so I mean, that's pretty amazing. Like you you know, back to that self-sufficiency and that empowerment. I mean, you you've really taken the bull by the horns and like done everything yourself. Taught yourself art and now you're on the ground floor of a lot of uh projects that have, you know, been like you know, four or five years, they're still going strong. Mm-hmm. So how does that feel? How do you feel about being kind of one of the original independent pioneers of the scene? I don't think, I haven't thought about it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's just, a, it, I, I figure I just want to make comics. Right. And this is just, hey, I made I made this comic, I made this comic. And all these other people make great comics, so read these comics. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's just, uh, I'm I'm there, I'm part of it, I'm, I'm happy to be part of it. Yeah, but I think I'm not you know, going to brag about anything like that. It's just, it's just, it is what it is, and I'm there. Yeah, for you, it seems like it's much more like most people that we interview get into comics as a medium, and they read it and they fall in love with comics. But it sounds like it's for you. It's sort of reverse. You fell in love with like the making of the comics and the yeah. creating of the comics and the community mm-hmm. before you got into comics as an actual. That's exactly as an it. Medium. Cool. What do you? How do you feel about that? Like, what is it about the camaraderie of this community? Because I mean, not everybody, not every city of Toronto has such a strong community like 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 not every city has one toronto is one of the strongest in canada it is we have a lot of professionals on every uh, level of comics from you know the dc and marvel real professionals to you know independent creators like like yourself so what is it about the community that you were drawn to 
everybody seems just very supportive of of each other. Mm-hmm. And that is really appealing to me. It's just, if I have something that I need an opinion on, I can get an honest opinion from someone. And at any given time, I can look at my Facebook list and say, oh, hey, Chris Yao is online. Hey, Chris, what do you think of this? And he'll tell me what he thinks of it. Right. There's super, like, there's no competition. It doesn't, it seems doesn't like... feel like it. it. Like Everybody's out to help each other instead of to hinder each other. Right, right. That's awesome. How did you initially find out about Ty's classes? I googled Toronto comic drawing course. So you you decided that you wanted to do comics, right? Mm-hmm. From your experience reading Simpsons or? Uh, I was playing a lot of superhero video games, actually. Okay. Like City of Heroes and Champions Online. And uh, people wanted commissions and I just didn't, I wasn't happy with my skill level at the time. So I wanted to take an anatomy course, but specifically geared towards comic books. Wow. How did you get into doing commissions for people? Uh, People would want pictures of their characters or custom characters drawn. And they found out that you drew? Yeah, I would volunteer the information in not such a subtle way. (laughs) (laughs) I draw. I want to draw your character. Pay me your money. I will draw your character. That's cool. So you were already making money drawing for people before you even knew really what you were doing. Every once in a while, yeah. That's awesome. That's so cool. (laughs) And I guess that's what really showed you like that there was potential. Mm-hmm. Uh, economically speaking. In, yeah, in and I had my ideas for my own characters and wanted to write books for my own characters. And mm-hmm. none of that ever you know, came to anything because I've moved on to other things. Right. But I still have, in the back of my mind, there's a story I want to do about a superhero named Chance, and she has a magic ring that changes her luck, sometimes in a really bad way, sometimes <laughs> in a really good way, as well as um, a relic that her father found, which made him a hero. I did, so so this is so crazy, because I did a comic, just, I don't know, just for fun, called The Odds, and my main character was called Chance, (laughs) and it was was all about how, like, his power was to, like, change the trajectory of, of people's luck, like, he could make, you know, people have bad luck, so if someone was, like, firing a gun, for example, he'd make the bullet miss him like fluke by fluke or Mm. something like that and of course he was like he lived in las vegas and he was like a gambler and con artist and he had that whole background and stuff like that so that's that's crazy that's cool yeah so i would just take my characters and want to make stories with them and there was um there's another story that i have on the back burner right now that i really want to get out there at some point maybe after i finish shelly but it combines the big lebowski with the greek gods wow so how are you going to do that? So so who's the dude of the Greek gods? Zeus. <laughs> of course. <laughs> so basically, um, Zeus and the other gods have fallen from grace. Okay. And they no longer have any power. They, at least they have minimal power. And Zeus wants to retake that glory. But in the trailer park in which they live in, there is no glory to be had unless they're the local bowling champions. So they form a bowling team to win the championship. Nice. That's awesome. And they sort of reclaim their their godliness through bowl. Through they bowl. want to, but they actually don't. Oh, okay. <laughs> it's actually a fable story. Oh, cool. And the moral is: don't count your chickens before they've hatched. Uh, uh, of course, I, I never will. <laughs> um, tell me a little bit about strays. Now that I know a little bit about your background, I feel like it's a little bit of a personal personal story like there's a personal or or like biographical elements in it yes and no like yes in the being kicked out of the house mm-hmm. no because i'm not gay right 
Right. Uh, but I was going for more for the kicked out of the house. Yeah, yeah. I was only kicked out of the house once or twice, and that was for not doing my chores. But in any case, um, it's, it's a story where the main theme is no matter who you are, you just want someone to love you, even if they aren't human. You, everybody wants at least someone to love them. Mm-hmm. And in the story, which is Lesbians, Dogs, and Bacon, uh, the main character, Taryn, gets into a fight with her dad over coming out, and he slaps her around and kicks her out and... On her way to her girlfriend's house, someone throws a dog out of a window because they're a terrible human being, and the dog lands right on her head. And from that moment on, the dog decides that he loves her and wants to follow her, and she wants nothing to do with the dog. Mm-hmm. She's got her own problem. She has her own problem. She's having the worst day of her life, and she doesn't even like dogs. She's allergic to dogs, and the stupid dog is following her home. Wow. So how does Bacon get in? Get into Bacon it? Bacon saves the day at the end. Okay. So it's essentially, without without spoiling the end of the story, the dog steals bacon off the countertop in his home. And I've set it up so it seems like he does it a lot. And the the, the owner is like, the stupid dog stole the bacon again. Yeah. Get out of here. And it doesn't show the dog being thrown out of the window. So the dog could have jumped out of the window. Mm-hmm. But the dog comes out of the window through the glass and uh, escapes his bad home. She was kicked out of her home by an abusive father. So they both come from bad backgrounds and then they meet physically (laughs) in the rain in a puddle. Yeah. Wow. That's awesome. Have you got a lot of reaction from the LGBTQ community or? I I haven't had anybody want to return it. Uh (laughs) And actually I, I, the, my very first sale on um, March comic con was someone who picked up my ash can for strays and they wanted to pick up the actual book because they loved the ash can. Nice. And I get a lot of uh, LGBTQ people who want to, who, who enjoy the book, and also just a lot of non-LGBTQ right, people anyone. who enjoy the book. Because it's not it's not about being gay, it's about being loved. Yeah, I, I read it, and I think I read it before I even knew who you were. Oh. And then you gave me the PDF recently in pre- uh-huh. preparation for this interview. And I think I, I read like a black and white version. Uh-huh. And then, and then I got the color version at this point, and, yes. I, and I was like, "Oh yeah, I read, I read this before." Oh, that's cool. I think maybe, maybe Sam passed it to me, or I don't know how. how I had I, it on Tapastic for a while across. for free. Oh yeah, maybe that's that's how what it went. Because the free version will always be like I'll always have a black and white copy of Strays for free online, mm-hmm. and then if people like it well enough that they want to buy it, they can buy the PDF for for you know half price and the book for full price. Right, and it's a pretty powerful story and it's it's a different way to tell um a story that's sort of been been told like the coming out story it's a different way to tackle the issues instead of tackling it head on with with another human being you're tackling it sort of sideways with this dog Mm -hmm. kind of kind of thing which i which i really like about it it makes it a little bit more powerful because you know it, it it brings the love aspect down to brass tacks because it's yes. like the love of an animal and the unconditional love, mm-hmm. which translates to like the entire message of, of the of the book, right? Mm-hmm. Cool. It's really good. So we've had Sam Noir in here before. 
How did you guys start collaborating on uh, Skeleton Appy? Is that is that AB? What AB, okay. AB, yeah. Okay. Uh, we met uh, after one of the shows. I can't remember what show it was, but we went to Five Guys. I went with Andrew Stevenson and Stephen Andrews, and we met at Five Guys with Marvin Law and Chris Yao, and just hung out for a while. And Sam was a pretty cool guy, and uh, met him at another time uh, at the pilot, and then just started, you know bothering him and we started doing comics together because he lived in oakville Mm -hmm. and i live in clarkson and he's he calls it the boonies he doesn't like living out in the sticks but there was another creator nearby and hey let's get together and work work on something so we we go to panera at 403 in dundas and just work on our stuff and he eventually said hey you want to work on a kids comic with me cool what do you like about collaborating with him? Oh, we just work well together. We table together at shows. We travel together to shows. And he has great ideas that, you know, work out well on paper. And we just look out for each other. It's just we're good friends. Nice. What do you like about doing uh, kids' comics? I like the look on the kids' faces when they see something just for them. They're so happy. Cool. And uh, they just they just get excited because there are not a lot of kids comics. No, it's true. But there are kids comics, right? But this is something catered for little kids, like age three to eight, which there isn't quite as much. Of. No, no, absolutely not. And it's sort of weird because the comic book industry. I mean, originally it was created for kids, but it seems to be largely reversed, where it's like mm-hmm. mostly for adults. And now you have to go hunting for. The kids' comics, yeah. where it used to be that you had to go hunting for the adult for the adult comics. Exactly. You know what I mean? It's, it's kind of weird. Does the fact that you're a mother and have kids on your own, does that influence uh, what you do in, oh, yeah. in your kids' comics as well? Yeah, yeah. I want something my kids will be able to enjoy without worrying about content. Mm-hmm. And I mean, they're eventually going to get to that content, and I'm fine with that. Um, I hope that I'm there with them if they watch, like, I, when my eight-year-old watches Deadpool, I want to be there with them. Right. You know? It's not something that I'm going to volunteer to him. But I want to be able to say, hey, read this comic. You'll really like it. Have your kids read uh, Skeleton Amy? Uh-huh. What do they think? Oh, they love it. Awesome. Yeah, he thinks it's funny. Cool. The little guy looks at the pictures because he can't read yet, and the big guy, uh, he's read it a couple times, and... He wants to know when the next one's coming out. For our listeners, those who haven't uh, seen it or read it, uh, tell us a little bit about what the story is. Uh, the story's about a little monkey girl and her best friend who is a T-Rex skeleton. And uh, they live in a land where there are no right angles on buildings and cookies grow on trees. And instead of a gravel driveway, you have hair growing in your driveway, so you have to comb out your driveway. Wow. People drive dog buses instead of cars. <laughs> and there's a, there's a man with a boot as a head. So it's really out there. And uh, the story was basically about how Skeleton AP want cookies, but they can't just pick the cookies because the cookies are owned by a farmer and he sells the cookies. So they need money. So they go out and they come across Mr. Kicks, who's the man with the boot as a head. And he's uh, combing out his driveway and having a hard time of it. And they ask him, hey, can we help you for money? And he goes, yeah, okay. So it's a story about working to earn your money to buy things and just little bits of friendship at the end. 
Wow, that's really far out. Where did the idea come from for that? I have no idea. It comes out of Sam Norris' head, and uh, I don't. It's an interesting place, Sam Norris' head. Right. So, in terms of your process for drawing and like taking the stuff that you've learned from Ty and that sort of thing, how would you describe your style and uh, and your your working process when you get a script and you have to you have to draw a comic? It's taken quite a while to develop a style. uh, I'll admit, I'm I'm finally falling into a uh, recognizable style with my art and. And uh, just working on the script is just it's, it's just a process. You know, you work on your thumbnails and you revise your thumbnails and you redo your pages and then you do your pencils. And actually with my latest comic, I had to redo a couple pages of pencils because I wasn't satisfied with it. Well, that's good. And, uh, you have standards. Exactly. And it's a matter of just looking back at, at your work and saying, okay, I made mistakes like this. I made mis- mistakes like this. I don't want to make those same mistakes again. And just improving on that, going back to my notes from Ty's classes saying, okay, this this was different in Ty's class. Let's try this, let's try this, let's try this. Have you ever uh, been able to go back to Ty and, like, has oh, yeah. he seen your development and, like, you mm-hmm. know, you've been able to, like, follow your progress a little bit? Yeah, yeah. Actually, Ty doesn't live too far from me either. Oh, cool. So I see him every Actually, I draw a picture of um, Hoverboy for him every year for his birthday and bring it to his house for him. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, and uh, just uh, every time I finish a comic, I drop one off for him and go from there. Why Hoverboy? Oh, Hoverboy is a creation of his and Rick Green's. Okay. And for a while, people thought it was real. Rick Green, he hosted that show, right? Yeah. Yeah. yeah the yeah. Red Green Show. Yeah, cool. The Red Green Show. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, so uh, it was, uh, it, the Hoverboy is the most racist superhero ever. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, it's like they, they went through all kinds of, they made all sorts of little strips. And you go to Hoverboy.com and you can see all of their, you know, crazy made-up stuff like little cereal things that they had in the cereal that people were choking on and they had to discontinue them <laughs> I'll, I'll check i'll check it out for yeah, sure and it looks it looks real looks 100 percent real so you look at it and you see all these old comics you're like oh wow i wonder where i can pick that up and they have people like celebrities saying i found my first issue of hoverboy in the garbage yeah and i loved it ever since <laughs> and they even had buzz aldrin tell a story about how uh an issue of hoverboy saved them on the spacecraft that's awesome that's so cool <laughs> That reminds me of, uh, I think when when um, the Sentry, like the Marvel character, the Sentry mm-hmm. first came out, uh, they did a thing in Wizard Magazine where they sort of pretended that it was like a long lost character of Stan Lee's, mm. and Stan Lee did like a whole thing in in the magazine claiming how like you know somehow it got lo- lost and nice. left on the coming, cutting room floor, <laughs> but of course it was you know it was a it was a modern story they just wanted to give it the prominence of mm-hmm. of the old school you know marvel uh, marvel style mm-hmm. so you're working on shelly and that that seems like one of the most personal projects to you because it's it's going back to yes your childhood and, mm-hmm. and that sort of thing do you want to do that sort of thing again like has it been a very unique experience working on that tell me about trying to sort of the issues related to trying to um, modernize something you did when you were when you were a child. Okay, well, like I said before, the first thing I did was age them. Right. I also moved it to Mississauga, so that it's a Toronto-area town where I can have a racially diverse cast without people going, oh, she's just putting in a black person so that she has a black person. Right. Which is not the case, because I, I, I would go into my, my son's classroom and there would be people from all different backgrounds in his classroom. Mm-hmm. So it would make sense to have an Indian girl 
to have a Jamaican girl, to have a Japanese girl, and have a couple of white kids. Mm. It sounds like it's really important to you to reflect diversity and like sort of tackle reality as it is, mm-hmm. not just in diversity, but also in like the issues that you that you are drawn to, like with strays and, and the LGBTQ issues and stuff. You seem to be interested in like real world things that we're that we're dealing with at this time what do you think made you that way why why are you interested in in diversity and that sort of thing these are all good things these are all things that like dc and marvel are trying to figure out how to do Mm -hmm. and finally and and uh you know we're living in times where there's a lot of sensitivity around language and Mm -hmm. diversity and like people seem to be more aware than they ever have been about the issues of minorities and what people are going through and more sensitive to those sorts of things. Mm-hmm. So why is it important for you to reflect that in your in your comics work? Well, it seems that in comics, that sort of stuff is swept under the rug. And you're not seeing a lot of issues that are brought up to light, especially in kids' comics, where, you know, Archie comics are, you know, fun and good and great to read. And they're, you know, have a good time reading them. But they don't really uh, touch base on things like, like racism or like the death of a loved one or even bullying. I don't re- I don't remember very much of any bullying in Archie comics that you could relate to. And these are things that kids are interested in reading about. They're things that they can relate to. It's things that I, like I don't want to make escapism comics because there are plenty of comics that kids can escape to. Right. I want to make comics that kids want to read because this is something that is relevant to me. And you know that because you dealt with some of that stuff mm-hmm. when you were a kid, oh, right? Yeah. It's really good that instead of, you know, having your experience become like a negative thing and mm-hmm. like closing you off from the world and like shutting you out, you want to, you know, show the reality in a healthy, in like a healthy way and like uh-huh. help other kids through your experience and through 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 your comments. Yeah, I mean, right? And offer solutions to these problems right. if possible. Like sometimes there is no real solution to it, but at least it's brought up to the light where you can see it and deal with it and have it in your face. I like it because you're, you're very no BS. I, re- no. I really like it. I really, I really like it. You're, you're a no BS person. It's not like you're ever going to sugarcoat things. Like nope. if I was your son, you'd probably be a pretty... Uh, Strict mom a little bit, right? Not like, so much strict, but just as a, what the hell do you think you're doing? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Show me the reality of my situation. Like, you you don't seem like a person who suffers fools uh, gladly very often. So. I believe that I want to give my kids enough rope to strangle themselves with. Right, right. Just enough to strangle themselves with <laughs> so they'll stop, you know? Yeah, yeah. Because my kids, my kids don't learn by lessons. My kids learn the hard way. Yeah. Every single thing they've learned in their life is the hard way. They don't, they just don't listen. And there's some parents like like my mom and and dad sometimes because I'm a person with a disability mm-hmm. they they like to like protect me and shelter yeah. me from the world and that sort of thing. You seem to be like you want to do the opposite. Yeah, expose them bit. to the world and then if they have a question, answer it as as honestly as I can. Right. Cool. And you're doing that in comics as well. Uh huh. Um, have you ever tried to shop your um, independent work around of publishers? Is that something that you want to do in the future? Uh, I'm going to bring it around TCAF and see if I can find any publishers at TCAF. Because yeah. I didn't get into the show, but I can still bring my comic around and uh, see if I can meet some people. Yeah, and, like portfolio review uh-huh. and that sort of thing. Uh, yeah, because Shelly seems like 
it would have potential as sort of a contemporized Archie comic. I hope so. Yeah, because, I mean, Archie, like with Riverdale, which uh-huh. which, I, which I'm loving. Oh, I'm, yes. I'm a big fan of that I right wanted, now. I watched it hoping to hate it so I could make fun of it. And then I was like, damn it. <laughs> it's just so melodramatic. And yes. so amazing. Like they're... It's like if the Archie gang was like young and hot and living mm-hmm. in Twin Peaks. I think. <laughs> That's what Chip Zdarsky said on, yeah. on one of our episodes. I mean, they've just started doing that now. Like they've just started contemporizing Archie now, which sort of shows the problems that you've highlighted. They just had a, a, a gay character relatively recently, yes. right? In the last couple of years, Kevin Keller is, mm-hmm. a, is an Archie. You know what I mean? So... They've taken a while to catch up, and maybe something like Shelley can like fill fill that void a little bit and have it be a little bit more well established. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's that's the idea, you know. Right. Just have have her bring things that are important to girls. So and even boys, if boys want to find out what the heck is going on with the girls, and you know, pick up a Shelley comic and see, you know, what are girls dealing with. As a like working comics professional who is also a woman, what is your experience um, with the industry? Like the Toronto comic scene is very, very supportive. But what is your experience like tabling at cons and that that sort of thing? get a lot of positive feedback. Cool. Yeah, and a lot of people who are really into the idea of having a comic which is more bare bones and raw than something that is all the problems are beneath layers, you know? Right. That's awesome. Cool. Cool. Well, um, where can people find you if they want to uh, follow your work? I can be found pretty much anywhere on the internet as Jupe Jupe Rocket. Okay. Uh, my Facebook page is Jupe Jupe Rocket Art. My Twitter handle and Instagram handles are Jupe Jupe Rocket. And uh, those are the probably the best way to find me. Is there anything coming out uh, that you're that you're working on? Any like top secret projects that you can hint at or things like that? I'm working on Skeleton AP two. Okay, I have to start doing thumbnails for that soon. I was just given a rough draft script from Sam, who's out of town right now, but he sent me the rough script, so I can work on that soon. Um, there's going to be a Kickstarter for Shelley in a couple of months, mm-hmm. and regardless of whether the Kickstarter succeeds, I'm printing it. Is Shelly going to be like full color or black oh, yes. and white? Or? Full color. Okay. Mm-hmm. Cool. And full is it going to be like a graphic novel or first nope, issue? 22 page. And oh. it'll be the first of many issues. Okay. Cool. And each issue sort of tackles like a like a contemporary issue. Exactly. Okay. Cool. And first one being uh, a friend's death from leukemia. Yeah, with bullies as well, like bullying and uh, little. And actually, a big theme is standing up for another person, even though you don't know them. Right. And and as a person who'd, who'd been bullied yourself, mm-hmm. I mean, I'm sure that that hits close to home, oh, right? Yes. Your your personal experiences, like how did you how did you go through some of that some of that stuff? Like how how were you able to like cope and and shield yourself? And, uh, and crying come out the other <laughs> side. Yeah, yeah, a lot of crying. Uh, just kept to myself, mostly avoided the other kids. Right. Uh, didn't try not to bother them or annoy them too much. Mm-hmm. You know, it was just a mostly. Uh, creep into myself right and escape in a drawing exactly right okay cool well i look forward to all of this stuff that's coming out from you you're also an artist in an artist in residence in altered states comics uh-huh. how did that uh, opportunity come about oh, i called them and asked them <laughs> <laughs> i just went out and said hey you guys want to have an artist in residence you know just to uh do drawings and learn a little bit about the industry and 
help you with the clients and all that. So, so what are your what are your jobs like? Every new comic day, you're there. You're there drawing for people. Or? Uh, well, I haven't drawn for. I've only drawn for one other customer so far. Okay. But I keep myself open to commissions, and I keep some cards on hand usually, unless I forget them. Mm-hmm. And uh, just I work on my stuff, and actually Rick Taylor comes in, and he he looks through my stuff when he comes in, and sometimes Ty pops in, or Adam Gorham will pop in. Cool. Hmm. That's awesome. So you just you just ask them. Uh huh. And they're like, yeah, totally. Yeah. Um, I know that when uh, Chris Yao was artist in residence at the now defunct comic book lounge and gallery, he did a lot of his uh, sketch covers and stuff mm-hmm. like that. Do people ever buy uh, blank covers for you to draw uh-huh. on? That's actually the, I did a gem in the holograms for someone recently. Oh, nice. Yeah. So that's uh, my most recent. And um, I did Doctor Strange as well. Cool. And a Betty and Veronica. So how long is that going to last for, you think? Just as long as you want? Yeah, or? pretty much. Until, or until they tell me to get out. <laughs> <laughs> nice. So you're there when? Wednesdays. Wednesday. Until about one thirty-two. One thirty-two. When do you start? I love it when the store clo- uh, opens. Okay, cool. 11 to one thirty or 2. Cool. Uh-huh. So come find her at Altered States. That's in Mississauga, right? Mm-hmm. In Clarkson Village. Clarkson Village. Awesome. Cool. Well, thanks so much for coming in. I hope that this was a worthwhile experience for Oh, for you. sure. It was a lot of fun. Awesome. All right. Well, we'll see you next time on Speech Bubble. Speech Bubble, the podcast that goes one-on-one with Toronto's comic book luminaries. See you next time. Never Sleeps Network. This has been a Never Sleeps Network production, executive produced by Alex Ross. For more information and content, visit NeverSleepsNetwork.com. This episode of Speech Bubble is sponsored by Harry Tarantula at 6979 Young Street. They sell comics and games to bright and imaginative people like you. So go there for your comics fix and go there for their games nights that happen all week. Check harryt.com for the schedule and tell them Aaron sent you.